0: Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 as we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 32 this morning. We've been in the first part of chapter 4 for a few weeks now. And this last part of chapter 4 kind of closes up and leads us into chapter 5. As we come to God's word this morning, let's go to him in prayer and ask for his help with this morning. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would be here with us to guide us. Because oftentimes as we come to your word, we tend to take it for granted that we have these words from our Lord himself for us, his people, and Not only have we taken it for granted, but oftentimes we don't even really understand the significance, or worse, we just excuse the significance of it. We start to think that it's smaller than it actually is, but we have here the very words of God for His people, that He has chosen from the foundations of the earth. So Lord, help us not to take these words as idle but to see them in our lives, to take them as authoritative, as words from a holy God, but words also from a loving Father. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as we come to this passage, it made me think a lot about my experience as a high school teacher one of the things I like a lot about teaching high school is watching my students. I primarily teach freshmen, ninth graders, and I essentially get to watch them transition from eighth graders to tenth graders, all in the course of a year. And there's quite a bit of change that happens between those two ends. It's not just a psychological thing, but it, or a physiological thing, but it's a, it's a mental thing. It's a psychological thing that's happening as well. Students begin to see life, their life a bit differently. They begin to understand that there is this whole world that exists beyond the end of their nose. That things not only matter for their own lives, but the things that they do, the choices they make, and the words they say can affect the world around them. It's one of the reasons why this time of life is so difficult for people. Because the weight of the world literally begins to settle onto you. Do you realize that the words that you say, the decisions that you make, matter in the world beyond your face? Of course, some never really transition out of that phase, as some stay perpetual high school or college students their whole life. But for many, high school is the beginning of that transition to a functioning member of society. Well, as Christians, We also undergo a kind of transition as we move from this new life that we have with Christ and kind of the brand newness of that and then understanding that the Christian life oftentimes is kind of this grind and what it means to follow Jesus and and to walk in his ways. We've discussed this over the past few weeks as Paul has called the church of Ephesus and called the church here today to Walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And in so doing, he says that we, as we mature in our faith, no longer being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine like children, but we are growing up in every way into the head who is Christ Jesus our Lord. So as we consider this passage today, we'll see some specific examples of what this new life in Christ should look like and how we should live as Christians. This is going to pair particularly well as we've been studying through the Ten Commandments on Wednesday night, been looking at what those commandments require of us and what they forbid for us. And I think the Apostle here is going to use that structure in teaching us some of the specifics of the Christian life. So as we go through this text, I want to break it up into three main ideas. First, putting off the old self, then putting on the new self, and then lastly, the marks of the new self. So with that, let's look together at the text, Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 32. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and the truth, in truth, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth to his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone that is in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for the building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear." And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So for some context of where we are. Paul calls us in verse 1 of chapter 4 to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And what is the purpose of that walking? Verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So understand, brothers and sisters in Christ, a major part of our sanctification process is our growing together as a church. As you read through this section, you understand why we can't do church on our own. You see and hear a lot of people wanting to do that. You understand why church is not simply getting together and singing and listening to a man preach. But Christ's church is a community that is growing together because of the work of Christ in our lives and the continued work of the Spirit in our lives as we walk in those good works that have been prepared for us. And this is meant to be done in covenant community. This aspect of our growth in Christ is seen in verses 15 and 16, which lead to our text today. Verse 15 and 16. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love the body growing together again we aren't growing up into christ individually but we are literally being fitted together as the text says here in the second word there that we are being knit together like a quilt that was once once a bunch of individual squares but have now been brought together to form a particular task There is no solo Christianity any more than a single square of a quilt could call itself a quilt. Understand this helps us to better understand and consider the bearing on this historical context as well. Remember the climate of the world in this time and place that Ephesus was around. Wisdom was valued above all. A person's ability to think was highly prized, and individuals' ability to think was highly prized and the roman empire of course was coming down as one of the most powerful forces in history and the romans required that every body bow down to caesar as god and so understand the pressures that are on the church as christians had this giant conflict on their hands they had the new man they were in christ the new self The way that they were to act that would separate them from the rest of the world. They were to unite together as one. But they also had this thing that says you are supposed to be a part of the world or it's going to cost you dearly. This is not a new concept for the God's people. The Levitical law separated them from the surrounding nations as the early part of their, as they were a nation. Those ceremonial and civil portions of that law being gone, the moral law still remained as a guide for the people of God. And this moral law was how we as the people of God are to be different than the world. And then some may say, well, that's, well. good people are just supposed to act this way. But we know, as Christians, that there is no good. No one is good but God himself. And even in their goodness, the unbelievers' ways are flawed. So then how are we as Christians to live in this world, putting off the old self and putting on the new? That brings us to the first point, putting off the old self. Look with me again at verses 17 and 18. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts couple things to bring out here the futility of their minds they're completely unable to comprehend anything unless something from the outside changes that futility we read this in romans 3 verse 10 and following where we read that no one understands no one does good. No one seeks after God. This is a part of the fallen condition that we have before Christ. This is not a Christian who refuses to understand. A Christian has been changed. This is speaking of an unbeliever in the futility of their mind. And futility is not simply inability either. There's a kind of aimlessness or ineffectiveness that is in the mind of the unbeliever. This understanding is cleared up as you continue on through verse 18, that they are darkened in their understanding, unable to see clearly. There is something obscuring their vision of the truth. And this is their own ignorance and their hardness of heart. And in this we read that they are alienated from God or they are excluded from God. Rather than being a part of the unity that we have in Christ, which is the exact opposite of this, they have been alienated. Rather than growing up together, they have become harder in their sin. They have separated themselves from the body or they have separated themselves by right of being an unbeliever. And as verse 19 puts this, what is the end of that? They are calloused. Verse 19, they have become callous and have given them up, themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity this word callous is like a lack of feeling apathetic cast off all feelings is how it literally reads there in the original language understand this in the context of our lives understand this in the context of the unbeliever i think thinking it's very helpful nothing stirs you nothing is beautiful Futility of living. Life has no meaning. And so then what do you go out and try to find? You go out and try to find meaning and feeling, which is exactly why they've given themselves up to sensuality. They're greedy to practice any kind of impurity. They're just trying to find something that will let them feel. They're callous toward the things of God. Because they can't know God without God directly intervening in their lives. And so they turn to the things of the world that will give them feeling. And they're greedy to practice all of these impurities. All of their works, even their motives in doing those works, are tainted by this. Of course, this is something that God can change in the life of an unbeliever. And in Christ, this is exactly what happens. In Christ, we read earlier in this book that there is an awakening. That we are made alive together with Christ. That in Christ, one is made to feel love and to think and to see in this new way that we have in Him. Whereas there had been despair and apathy, now we have hope and passion. That we realize that understand that the world actually has meaning outside of ourselves. Because God Himself gives it meaning and restores us into love the good things and to seek out the things that Christ does. Without Christ, you cannot do this. Without Christ, your only motives are to serve yourself. Greedy, seeking out the things that will give you feeling and hope in the world. So if that's you here today, let me encourage you. Christ can change you. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. But for the unbeliever here, or for the believer here, excuse me, there is a warning. Because even in Christ, we tend to dip in and out of this from time to time. This calloused kind of feeling that only comes from alienating ourselves. In Christ, we are inherently not alienated. We are a part of something that's much greater than us. We are a part of something even in spite of ourselves. But oftentimes, in Christ, we want to alienate ourselves and it's really easy to do As I was talking about the students earlier one of the most difficult parts of growing up is you losing that childhood innocence even as a parent watching my own children grow up this has been hard as they understand and begin to see the world the cares of this world are usually something hard and terrible because death is real sin is present in all people Including ourselves. And it can be very rough at times. And sometimes we think as Christians that the only way to combat the roughness of this world is to be rough ourselves. And that is not true. Because we are different, church. We have a new life in Christ. We are called to live in a manner worthy of our calling. That brings us to the second point putting on the new self. Look with me at verses 20 through 23. But that, this callousness, but that is not a way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. In Christ we are to put off the old self. It belongs to the former life therefore has no place in our life today it was corrupted our former life by sin and death and in christ our sins have been nailed to the cross and we have been brought from death to life and so these things no longer have any bearing on our lives and so that's why he says that we are to be renewed in the spirit of our minds shorter catechism as we quoted from this morning when it said that how did god create man we were created in knowledge righteousness and holiness and now as new creations in christ we can actually experience these things again we can know god we can actually live holy lives because of what he has done we now have the righteousness of christ we have these things as it says in verse 24 we have these things we are no longer separated from them we are no longer living as it said of the gentiles in the futility of our minds but our minds are able to consider the things of god and should be doing so we should be doing that as christians We are no longer callous, but we are now able to feel and experience a life without futility, but a life that has meaning. Everything that we do has meaning because Jesus has been risen from the dead. We can now receive and know all we need in Christ because of Christ's resurrection. We're no longer greedy to practice impurity because our minds and our hearts have been transformed and we should be greedy to practice the things of christ our lives should look different from those of the world or as jesus put it we should be now bearing a different kind of fruit turn with me to matthew 7 as we read our lord himself teaching on this passage One of the questions that believers often ask is, how can I know that I have this? How can I know that I have this new self? How can I know that I have Jesus? Jesus gives us a very plain teaching here, I think. So let's look here at Matthew 7, verses 12 through 20. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is, So every healthy tree, understand this church, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. How can we know? That we have this new self. How can we know that we have this new life in Christ? We recognize it by our fruits. Our destination now in Christ is different. And so our outcomes should be different. Considering the Matthew 7 passage, I think it's important for us to hear a few things as Christians. We are not called to be Fruit inspectors, as I heard one pastor say one time, meaning we cannot truly know a person's heart at all by watching them. Just as a person can easily fake the fruits of the Spirit, a Christian can be going through difficult times in which the fruits are not always so apparent. So we have to be careful here. But on the other side of that coin, the lack of evidence of the new self In a person's life should always cause us concern. And it's one of the vows that we take as members of this church. When we come to join this church as an ARP church, one of the vows we take is it says, do you promise to live all life as a Christian following the examples set by Jesus Christ? When you look at a person's life and realize that that's not happening, Someone who claims to be a believer and they are not living all life as a Christian. They are not demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. They are not demonstrating that they have this new self. Well, it should cause us concern. should cause us concern as the church. Because what did we read earlier concerning the church? That we are to grow up in every way into Jesus. And that we are joined and held together at every joint. That we are joined together as Christians. If there is a weakness in one, then that creates a weakness in the whole. This is the primary purpose of church discipline. It's to bring the individual back into the fold. Not for their sake only. Yes, for their sake. But not for their sake only. But for the sake of the whole. Or to show that they are indeed not who they claimed to be. In this next section, Paul lays out some very clear marks of what he thinks the new self should look like. And I think it's really easy for us to look at a list like this, which starts with verse 25 and following, and to okay, have a check box, right? Because we like check boxes, we like lists. These 10 things will show you're a Christian. We love that kind of thing because we can get our little pad out, and we don't like to do that for ourselves, of course, but we love to look at the other person and say, well, they're probably not a Christian because they're only 6 out of 10 or whatever silly thing that we dream up. Lists easily create Pharisees, but they can also breed holiness. When we come to them with the motive of pleasing our Lord rather than performing for others. And so as we come to this list of things that Paul lists that show and demonstrate the new life, let us come at it understanding that this is what the Lord finds pleasing in us. So let's walk through these. We'll just kind of look at them individually. Look at verse 25 and 23 and following. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another putting away falsehood this is not just an admonition to stop lying but also a command to speak truth to our neighbor see this many times in the in the old testament community particularly after the exile in zechariah chapter 8 I encourage you to read that for your own study this is the people of god coming out of babylonian exile and god's first instructions to his people as they go forward out of exile is to speak truth to one another paul borrows from this and jesus does as well as he teaches the jews and gentiles are to be one body that is the church and at the top of their list they are to speak truth to one another how do we do this as a church Well, we regularly preach the gospel of course but it's a lot more than that understanding that we are to know the truth, to speak it to one another, to to grow as we speak together. Oftentimes in the church, many times we're afraid to, to speak up because we're afraid that what we say might sound wrong. You know, one of the things that we said from an early time here at Redeemer is that we want to encourage all kinds of questions, that we're not afraid of questions. We're not afraid of answering those questions. Why not? Because we should be talking about our faith with one another. We should be asking questions. We should be answering them. We should be having these discussions as we arrive at the truth together found in God's Word. Again, not seeking to divide, but seeking to grow up together in Christ. And there's no way to grow in the truth if you aren't speaking the truth in love to one another. And I think this also speaks to the way that we live our lives. That there should be transparency not having all this secretiveness, that as we live life together, we shouldn't be concerned about what others might think about us. As we walk through difficult portions of our life, we should understand that we all have a difficult road to walk. That it's easy to become calloused, but we are not to do that. We are to walk hand in hand as the people of God. Continuing on, verse twenty-six: Be angry. And do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your angry, or your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. So notice he tells us here to be angry. These are the things, there are things to be angry about, absolutely. Injustice, wrongdoing, wrong teaching. I strongly recommend actually, as I think about this, there's a book that I'm reading right now called Good and Angry, Good and Angry, by a, uh, man by the name of David Pallison, and it helps to understand that as a Christian that it sometimes it's good to be angry and in fact it's a sin sometimes not to be angry but we struggle with that that idea of being angry and not sinning because we don't do this very well at all righteous indignation This idea that we can be mad and be right in that, as we saw our Lord do on a a couple of occasions, this is a difficult thing to pull off because we have a really skewed version of justice that tends to focus on our own needs alone. And so we should be praying for this, that we would be able to be angry about the right things but to do so in the right way, only that it would build one another up. Do not let the sun go down in your anger, meaning we should keep short accounts with one another in the church. If not, we give an opportunity for the devil. Verse 28, continuing on, as marks of a believer. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone who is in need. We talked about this over the last couple of Wednesday nights, this idea of what is meant when the Lord says, thou shalt not steal. The opposite of that is, is working and seeing work as a good thing because Part of the perfect garden that was given to us is that we were given a garden to work and to keep, and that work is a good thing, and that we should embrace it rather than stealing, rather than seeing, uh, trying to get something for nothing. We should be okay to work for our wages. We should be okay to work for the things that we have, and namely, as he brings out here, so that we can be able to give to others who have need. Continuing on, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Oftentimes this is used as an admonition against using curse words, which I'm sure that's fine. But a lot of times we will say, there will be a person who will say, yeah, you shouldn't cuss. And then they will use hurtful words against other people nonstop. So I think we should understand this as anything that is corrupting, anything that brings people down rather than building them up. Our Lord Jesus says, out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. Jesus knew that words were powerful and should be used correctly. G- James, the brother of Jesus, talked about this as well in his epistle. It's easy to break someone down with our words, but it can oftentimes be just as easy To build them up. Speaking in order to build a person up. Which also benefits us. Right? Because we are all together under one head. That is Jesus Christ. And so to use our words to break someone in the church down is to really harm the whole. We should be eager to build one another up. Verses 30 and following. And do not grieve. The Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Well, how can we do that? This isn't standing by itself. Well, he gives us a way to do to grieve the Spirit, or not to grieve the Spirit. Following, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Treating one another kindly shows the unity that we have. The common spirit that we have by treating one another poorly. Understand that when we treat one another poorly in the church, we grieve the spirit because we each have a common spirit. This Holy Spirit that we have is common to all of us. Impeding the spirit's work by being, by not being kind to one another is working against the spirit, which is what was meant by grieving here. The spirit is Personal. The Spirit is not this impersonal force that can't feel or think, but the Spirit is a personal in our lives, and the Spirit's work is the establishment and is used to establish Christ's church. By mistreating one another, we work against the very will of God for His people. So we should put away all of these things that we would use against one another. As we go through this list, we probably see ourselves, or hopefully see ourselves as falling short of this, we, lest we be like the rich young ruler who says, all of these I've kept from my youth, Lord. All of these I'm currently doing. Because we would be easily put to shame if that's us. So what do, we, what do we do then? When we come to the place when we realize that we're unable To keep all of these commandments. That we are unable to fully put off the old self and to put on the new. We have to understand that even when we are not faithful, Jesus is. Even in those times that we struggle with sin, and particularly as we struggle together as a church, the Lord Jesus is right there beside us. Because ultimately, when it comes right down to it, Jesus is The new man. Jesus is the second Adam born without sin. Lived without sin. And had perfect righteousness upon his death on the cross. And he died on the cross. So that he could become my sin. And your sin. And he became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He not only took away our sin, but he gave us his goodness. Because of that, we continually are growing in the righteousness of Christ. Just like that high school freshman will all come along at different times and at different speeds. And while it may be easy for us to get get crossed with one another, at times we have to understand that we are doing this together and that Christians are meant to walk with one another in love and in truth. As we wear the righteousness of Christ and as we wear his holiness, we begin to see things how they should be, how they were meant to be, more and more. So the challenge for us is to live in such a way that the world will take notice of this they will come to know Jesus by how we live. But not only that, because the same writer of this book also says, how will they know without a preacher? So not only are we to live this way, but we are to speak this way. We live in a world that has exchanged the wisdom of God for the futility of their own minds. And we have the truth. And we are called to take it out into the world. Let us live in light of the calling that we have been given and let us tell the truth of Jesus to a lost world. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we read these commandments that you have given to us, we understand that we fall short and so Lord, help us. We need a Savior. We are unable to do it on our own. On our best days, we stumble along Like blind people, unable to know our way, we need a light. Lord, be a light into our path. Show us the way we ought to walk and live. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have placed in our lives. We we pray this in your holy name. Amen.